What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. Welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where this week my guest is David Burtwistle. As well as being a social media personality, David is an online health and performance coach. He has also appeared on the popular Netflix show Too Hot to Handle, but is now turning his hand to the world of ultra running. David is taking on the Race to the Stones, a 50-kilometre ultramarathon race. He's been documenting his transition to running and his training for the ultramarathon on his social media. David has a decade of experience in the coaching world. He's played rugby and he's big into his strength training. But how's he going to fare when he turns his hand to ultra running? We're going to ask him all about his training, what he's looking forward to, what he's maybe not looking forward to, all in this episode. We're looking forward to chatting to our guest this week, David Burwistle. David, how you doing? What's up, man? I'm all good, thank we're you. Here, we're here and we're looking forward to chatting about something really exciting you've got coming up soon. And all sorts of other things. But before we jump into that, um, I'm going to offer you a piece of advice. And it's not from me. It's from someone who's been on the podcast before. Yeah. And they don't know who they're leaving it for. And this piece of advice comes from Priya. And her advice is try to enjoy everything that you're doing and smile through the pain, which I think is quite <laughs> applicable for, for what you've got coming up next. That sounds I mean, super relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Are you good at doing, you know, putting a smile on your face? Uh, that's it. I don't know if I'm good at putting a <laughs> smile on my face. Uh, it depends really how bad that pain is, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, I try to do the same sort of thing, but, um, it, yeah, it really does depend. Cause if, if you're like, like temporary pain is not so bad, but if it's really long and enduring, which is what I'm a bit nervous about, yeah. <laughs> that the smile might not be there. I don't know. <laughs> well, before I ask you about that challenge, ask you a really vague question really vague question that I ask to everyone what do you love about being outside and active the freedom and the feeling it is for me um the feeling of being outside and just in nature and like being able to go places and do things and it just gives me this sense of freedom and then the active component to that is like I have to move my body. I feel like I'm a Labrador. I'm basically like a dog, right? You have to get the energy out of the system if you want me to relax. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going to go a yeah. bit mental. So like, you know, I was just on holiday with my fiance Hazel and she wants to go and lie by the pool. And I'm, I've probably got about an hour of that before I get like irritable. <laughs> However, if I've run 10K, 15K, 20K beforehand... I can chill. You've got that out of your system. It's like all yeah. that energy's gone and I can just like be in a calm space. So yeah, freedom, peace, tranquility, eternal peace, all of those things. I mean, you mentioned being away. Congratulations. Thanks, man. It was an amazing, amazing video. Really cute, cute video. And <laughs> what would seem to be a really poignant place as well for Hazel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so for context, if, if everyone listening, I just proposed to my... Now fiance Hazel Wallace, uh, aka the food medic. If you see her on Instagram, you should definitely follow her because she gives out amazing advice. And um, yeah, we went to Rome. Her parents got married in Rome. Unfortunately, her father's no longer with us. Um, he passed uh, about 15 years ago. 
but we went to the church where her parents got married. And so I thought this is the perfect place to propose to Hazel. And you literally don't know, but about two minutes before the video, she was like in tears because she's so sad. Yeah. You know, I was here about her dad and stuff. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like. <laughs> is now the right time? Should to I really get a be doing this? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the good news is that, you know, I committed. It was the scariest moment ever, but, you know, you've got to take a leap of faith. And, and she said yes. And so I'm. I feel very blessed. How far into the holiday was it? Was it one of those things where it was right at the end and you were waiting the whole no, time? No, day it? two. Oh, okay. Day so two. Literally... I was like, we've got to do this, you know, straight away. And uh, that way we can like really enjoy the rest of the holiday, you know? I knew you were saying beforehand that like, you know, if she wants to go and sunbathe, you need to go and get your exercise out. But there are times that you, you, you know, go to the gym or go for a run together as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Loads, loads, loads. So uh, we, we ran... Day one in Rome, the day I proposed, actually, we ran in the morning. We ran around Rome, so we went to see the Colosseum. We went to see the Trevi Fountain um, and also the Spanish Steps. So I created a little 8K, 9K, maybe 10K route on Strava. You guys can see it on Strava now if you search it. Rome sightseeing tour on foot, I think is what I call it. And so, yeah, we ran that together. And then uh, we were down in Sicily and we ran uh, 17K together as well around it's called mount pellegrino i believe so yeah we run together quite a bit but sometimes um you know our goals are slightly different so sometimes it'll be that i need to do other things which aren't really aligned with what hazel's doing and she needs to do things that aren't really aligned with me like i don't train my glutes as much as she does and you know sometimes i'll need to run faster than is the right pace for yeah her. And traveling when you're traveling running's a good way to actually see everything and experience everything in whilst also getting you running. Absolutely. I love it. It's such a great way of doing things. And also, like, we went at about 8, 8.30 in the morning, which meant that there was not very many tourists. And for me, that's a great idea as well, because, you know, who likes to be in queues? Who <laughs> likes to be in massive crowds of people? I'd rather just get up, get active, go get it done, go for a jog. And then, yeah, not only do I feel good, but we've also done all the sightseeing bits early. So let's come on to what we've been hinting at throughout Race to the Stones. You're taking on your first ever ultra marathon. Yeah. <laughs> I can see your face. <laughs> it's smiling, but there's a bit of pain behind it. There that. is. There's, there's pain behind the smile. So why that event? Why an ultra marathon? Tell me about it. So Race to the Stones is like one of the best supported ultras. Like a lot of people choose to do that as their first ultra um from what i understand there's lots of aid stations there's lots of people kind of looking after you so as far as like kind of easing you into it it seems like a logical step um it's also in the uk it's about i don't know an hour two hours away from where i live which makes it convenient and um the route is supposed to be really pretty too i believe that it's like the oldest route in the uk so it's pretty cool so yeah that was it in terms of like choosing this um event but then why an ultra challenge really it's a new challenge it's an interesting one i mean for for context like i was a rugby player um then so all my training was around power like i was a winger so i was all about speed um and then after i didn't unfortunately go pro I just did like bodybuilding type training, right? Like bits of CrossFit here and there. And I like to kind of keep fit and active, but never ran for distances. And I did a marathon once it was in lockdown and I'd been like jogging a bit and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to do a marathon. Right. 
can't be that bad. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. I remember thinking, oh, this is fine. Like half the half was absolutely okay. And then I got to about 30K and then just like fell off a cliff, right? In hindsight, I completely understand why. It was because I didn't eat anything throughout the entire run, you know? And so my pace went from like 5.15 splits to like 6.30 splits and then 7. And so... Literally fell off the cliff. It, it just was so painful. And so I remember doing that in about four hours and just being like, I'm never doing this again. This is, how do people do this? So I thought, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But then like, you know, lots of people around me have been running more. Um, And so I'd just been kind of like eased into it. And actually Hazel did the um, the ASICS 10K last year race. I didn't do it. And watching her compete, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is so much fun watching you do this. And then... Um, like, the energy of the event, the atmosphere. Yeah. And just also seeing her, like, do something like that. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't the A610K. It was the it was a half marathon in London. Which one was it? it London was quite, Landmarks? Yes, the London Landmarks half. And that was what, like, really got me excited. Because she smashed her PB as well. She was going for, like, a one... 52 and she ended up with a 145 oh wow like really smashed it. it right and i was like this is amazing the energy all the people around and like the fact she did this so I was like, oh cool well, so we we started running together a bit more my mate johnny he's also a runner uh jd runs far on tiktok and johnny davies yep. on instagram yep. he's he's been running a lot we trained together a lot um kind of last year the year before and so we've been doing bits and so just these people around me kind of inspired me to be doing more of this running stuff. But still, I kind of had this old school mentality of like, every time I go for a run, I have to send it and I have to be in pieces afterwards. And so I had this like, uh, God, this sucks. Like every time I was like, this is so uncomfortable. But then once I started to get into it and realized that with running, a lot of the time you can be running at a really low intensity. And actually that really is good for you. You know, like running in zone two, for me, that's like around 135 beats a minute on my heart rate. And like that sort of stuff where you're just talking to people and you're like going for a jog and actually it's you shouldn't be wrecked at the end. It's like, this is actually much more manageable. (laughs) Do you think that comes from maybe rugby when you were younger and pushing yourself and strength training a bit more, training to failure and really putting yourself through the paces around? Do you thought that would apply to running as well? Yeah, definitely. It definitely is a learnt behaviour. I think it's partially because like running is used as a punishment in a lot of team sports. <laughs> and so like when we would do fitness tests, it was just like, you've got to send it. Or if we were doing like conditioning, it would be intervals or, you know, it'd tests, be split sprints, tests, sprints yeah. all of this stuff. So like my association with running is you just go, you just go. Um, so I think that's where it kind of comes from. Definitely. So you, it seems like you had the transition of running that a lot of people seem to experience. If you start doing it because like, kind of mainly doing it during lockdown, then you were sort of felt like you had to do it. And probably then looking at times and trying to really, yeah. really focusing on times and distances and then finding out that, oh, okay, well, I can have my easy run. I can then also push myself in interval training and tempo runs and also have those long runs in there as well and really mix it up. It seems mm. like you had that 
yeah. and the transition. Yeah, it's been really nice actually to have that because it's it's meant that it's much more manageable in terms of like energy output and stuff and also fatigue balancing my other training and um it's just made it so much more enjoyable and so now when i'm like posting stuff on instagram and people like how do you have the motivation to do this like running so hard i'm like guys it's actually not that hard if you just do it at the right intensity like if you do zone two running it's actually like quite enjoyable you know and and you can run with friends and literally talk to them whilst also be improving your running (laughs) yeah exactly it's it is good it's good and the thing that i found so cool about it is that as soon as i started to talk more about running um the kind of the community of people that also like running have just been like hey oh you like running i like running like do you want to do this thing And so it's just been like very welcoming as well and very friendly. And there isn't really an ego. I've not come across people that have got ego, which is really cool. Um, Super friendly community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've found that a lot. And that is quite refreshing coming from a weightlifting, rugby, CrossFit background, like kind of fitness industry background where it is a bit different. Yeah. Interesting you said about Johnny because I know that he does a lot of cross like he, he weight training and also running as well i guess that's probably still what you're doing yeah. yeah it's still what you're doing now how do you balance that you know obviously you've got to try and get a certain amount of miles especially now you're training miles in the legs a week but also wanting to maintain your as much strength training as you can yeah that's it's an interesting one because this is the first time i've been really trying to balance both of them one of my fears when i started to run more was that i didn't want to lose the physique that i've built right it's taken me like 15 years to kind of get to this point um where i can maintain roughly 92 kilos body weight at six foot and so that was one of the concerns i had so the key thing was for me switching my leg training to be non-hypertrophy focused so that that strength, the, the kind of resistance training I was doing with my lower body was much more unilateral work. So not really squats and deadlifts and leg press, but mm. more like lunges and step ups and Cossack squats. And so unilateral movement, single leg exercises, much more along like uh, stability work, balance, making sure that the joints are stable. And so as a result of switching from hypertrophy to the training I just described, it's meant that my legs aren't actually getting as fatigued, right? Because yeah, you don't want to go through a heavy leg session and then the next day have to go and no, exactly. put your long run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you do a big squat session, for example, a big hypertrophy leg session, then you're like three days, four days where you're actually like, you can't perform as well. Uh, plus, my legs are already sufficiently big. I could, they don't need to be any bigger. It's just, a, it's, it's annoying enough trying to find trousers. Squeeze <laughs> so, your legs in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a big switch. And also because of that switch from hypertrophy to more functional leg training, for lack of a better word, it's meant that, like, my mindset is, like, how can I get better at running? How can I be strong, functionally strong? How can I move my body with more purpose and just be better at doing all these other things? So it's a shift in the approach, which means that my whole mindset shifts to to that as well. How's it affected nutrition-wise? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I, <laughs> I don't really like how I have to eat when I'm running long distances. 
Uh, I did a 36k run the day back, the day after coming back from a stag do, <laughs> <laughs> which was such a bad idea. But it was the only time that that week I could do that run. So it took me like four hours, right, to do this 36k trail run, and I was so broken, it hurt so much. Where was the stag do? It was in Lisbon. Three days with the lads, didn't have much sleep, drank lots and lots of alcohol, as you expect. It's yep. all very standard behavior. And then I was like, well, the only time I've got to do this is Monday morning. Got back on Sunday night. Anyway, the point I was making was that the nutritional component of running long distances, it's all sugary foods, isn't it? Right? Yep. Like it's, it's, it's high glucose. And so I don't, I don't really like eating like that. Um, and also like when you have run long distances and you get fatigued, you feel like you need to eat more calorie dense foods i've i've personally found it harder to balance my nutrition with performance for long distance running and aesthetics and how it makes me feel because those are the three things that are important for me yeah i've got it nailed when i'm doing weight training and moderate intensity cardio stuff like if it's an hour or an hour and a half that doesn't really make any difference but it's the three hour runs or the four hour runs that you're like you feel wrecked afterwards. And, and you have to get those calories back on board. You have to get the calories in. So that's been a hard adjustment um, for me personally, is like getting in the right amount, the right nutrition at the right times to, yeah. to fuel the performance, but also, you know, make sure that I'm not overeating or undereating and balancing recovery. It is a bit more tricky. Yeah, because if you were sticking to the that sort of, diet of when you're strength training um of, i imagine really super high protein that's not necessarily yeah. going to transfer when you need to when the calories are being pushed up because that's that eating that much is actually a lot more effort than it sounds like yeah yeah so like okay so let me put in a pinch like when I, when i'm just doing typical weight training and you know normal for me cardio which would be like say an hour twice a week right if that's the kind of way i'm training i can generally eat high protein maybe 200 grams of protein a day lots of vegetables so very high fiber and then a moderate amount of carbohydrates for me which is still like a decent amount so i eat about maybe 3000 calories a day mm. regularly that i can absolutely manage my energy levels are nice and flat my body fat is staying in the same place like my training feels good like my energy is great for work i can concentrate i can sleep well all of these things it's like perfect the tricky thing is that if I was to run for two hours, three hours, you're looking at roughly 600 or 700 calories per hour of exercise. So if I'm running three hours, that's another 2,000 calories that I need to eat that day to manage it. And so that's then 5,000 calories, but I've been running for three hours. So then that takes a big window of time away from when I can actually eat. And so then that means the time before I exercise, the food needs to be faster digesting. So typically it will be overnight oats is what Hazel very kindly makes me <laughs> um, with some jam or it will be um, rice pudding. But I don't like it that much, so I just have to kind of eat it. I don't really like training when I've got food in my stomach either, which doesn't help. Um, and so then you eat throughout the run a little bit but then there'll be this big deficit. But then I'm not hungry until probably an hour and a half to two hours after I've run. So that's the majority of the day that you're awake and I don't want to eat anything. 
Mm. So then I'm like, okay, well, at, across this period of time, I probably should have had two and a half thousand calories and I've probably had a thousand calories. And so I've got six hours to eat, like three and a half, four thousand calories. It's very hard to eat that much food when it's vegetables and high protein because it takes some time to digest it. So that means I have to switch to more faster digesting foods, lower protein, lower fiber. And I just don't really like the way I feel when I eat like that. It makes you feel crap. It does make me feel crap. and Especially yeah, when, you've, when, you've, when you've had that, like you said, 16 years of, of a certain goal and going in a certain way. And so this is completely almost flipping that upside down and going, oh, I know this is what I need to be doing because all of the, you know, the, it's adding up to what I need to, to eat. But yeah. it's just, it's really like listening, watching you say that, listening to you say that. You can really see the difficulty that I imagine a lot of people that do ultra running, and especially when you're doing cross, when you're cross training as well, will face. So it's really interesting you're in that. Yeah, because I mean, I still need to be in roughly 200 grams of protein a day for me to like that's kind of optimal for me um, to balance that with strength training and body composition goals. So then it's 200 grams of protein, which takes quite a lot to digest. That you have to get it across the day. And then from a carbohydrate perspective, like if I need to be eating, let's say, uh, well, <laughs> a lot of carbs, <laughs> like 350 grams, 400 grams of carbohydrates a day. And, and you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of food. It is a lot of food. And how, um, I find it really interesting talking about the nutrition side of things. Do you have, everyone will have those sort of foods that they really enjoy or those secret tricks and hacks for them that they that they enjoy yeah. do you have stuff like that that you're like if i just need a surge of protein that's not a protein shake or powder or whatever that yeah i like i like um farge zero percent fat yogurt really good stuff very high protein um like low fat cheese is also a really good one so like emmental i think it is low fat version of that it's got like loads of protein in it um those are my general like go-tos to be honest in terms of protein yeah trying to make eating not not a chore but it almost does become it seems like it becomes it's become a bit more of a chore when I've been running a lot like I've got it nailed for for not having to do loads of exercise like for me a moderate amount of exercise like an hour a day I can do, I've got that absolutely nailed to a T and I've also coached loads and loads of people to do the exact same thing, balancing work with their training, with their social life, all of that stuff because that is what a lot of people are just trying to achieve is like balance. Running long, long distances is not really that balanced because <laughs> it takes a lot of time and it's quite, a, quite an unachievable thing for a lot of people. And so now I'm in this process of trying to find out my new way of balancing all of this stuff. And so far, I guess, the, the hardest thing is just eating the right amount whilst I'm running. That's a great point, time balance, because a lot of people will have that same problem as well with work, family, social life, and then trying to fit in either their running or their sport or their gym or all of that at the same time. Yeah, What's your approach and advice for for people that are really struggling and need to make time? Um, Organisation is the most important thing here. It really does come down to what your priorities are and then organising your week in advance. 
lots and lots of people think they have no time because everything is done as it happens rather than proactively being like, okay, I need to do three training sessions this week. I need to go to work for 40 hours. I need to eat 15 meals Monday to Friday. I need to, I don't know, look after the kids at this time. I've got a date night at this time. I'm going to see my mates on this day. Like, how do I fit all of this in? And what most people do is they they know they've got to be at work between nine and five. And then everything else just sort of fits in around that. Whereas, like, if you want to be a super high-functioning individual and get everything done that you want to get done so that you're proactively moving forward in all areas of your life, then getting your diary organized is, like, the most important thing. It's like, had I not put into my diary that I needed to do the run the day after the stag do, would I have done it? No, I would definitely not have done it because I was in such a bad way. But I had to get it done because it was the only time I could have done it that week. And it's kind of just that simple. It's like the first thing is just getting super organized. The next thing after that is going to be be super critical of what your priorities are. That's the thing that a lot of people give everything the same value until push comes to shove and then they just choose the thing they want to do more. Whereas, like, if you're really critical of, like, what the things are that you need to do, what those priorities are, and then not the thing you want to do the most, but the thing you need to do the most, that will then really help to organise and then you can get everything done. Where does your motivation come from? Uh, Not wanting to be a failure. In the simplest terms, it is I want to be capable, I want to be able to, to do anything, Right. The motivation is like people ask like how do you have how do you keep going whenever you're doing anything? And I'm like because in my head I'm like this is uncomfortable and then the other side of my brain goes, Don't you stop you little bitch. Yeah. Just keep going. Just keep going. Like that it's it's literally that simple. It's just my brain telling me you can do it, you can keep going. And I just don't want to be. I don't want to be seen as as weak. I don't want to. I don't want to give in to it because I see that if I start giving in when something's uncomfortable, then that's gonna radiate out into everything else. That's gonna when work's difficult, I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm just gonna take. I'm just gonna take a day for myself. Like I'm my own boss. No one tells me what to do at work. So if I want to take a half day or a day, then I could do it. Yeah. But it's a really slippery slope because then. Well, you know, what if my relationship gets tough? Am I just going to walk away? What if I'm in a difficult time doing something else? Like that every day, every single day, I believe that we are put in positions where we make decisions. And every time you make a decision, it reinforces a belief in your head. So if I repeatedly do actions which reinforce the fact that I can do anything, then I'll continually believe that I can do anything. However, if given the same opportunity, I take the route which is easy, I'll continually reinforce in my head that I need to take the easy route. And it really is just, it's as simple as that. So there will be times when you're running this ultra that you'll be thinking, why am I doing this? This hurts too much. I can, like, there is the option for me to just stop running, yeah. or stop moving forward. Yeah. You have to have as well as a certain level of physical standards to be able to do an ultra, the mental side of it has been massive. What have you learned about the mental side of running? 
it's an elongated version of the same conversations I always have because it's over a longer period of time. Um, it, it, it's it, it just they just kind of happen more often. The the internal conversations of like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, is that a little niggle? Oh, does my foot feel okay? Oh, oh, did I step on a rock? Or like constantly these little things in your head. And every time it's like an opportunity for you to just like stop running and start walking or just stop completely. I guess it's just more testing, isn't it? What might be slightly different with running is that in the gym, if it gets hard, there's a slight level of... Um, I guess you can change your workout. You can change. You can take you know, a longer break between sets. You can do different things. Whereas with running, it's one foot in front of the other. It's the same thing for hours mm. on end. How do you deal with that monotony? Are you headphones off, headphones on? Yeah, that's interesting. I act, I've always run with headphones until the day I came back from the stag trip. And I knew I felt terrible, right? Like, I was literally the first kilometre I felt sick. I was like, this is going to be so bad. I've got 35 more kilometres to do and I feel this bad already. I was like, right, well, you've put yourself in this situation. So, make this as hard as it can possibly be. And then the ultra will be easier. So I was like, I'm not wearing any headphones today. So that race, in my head, was a race. That um, 36K was just a mental, it was, the, it was a mental challenge to me of like, you feel terrible. Like I felt worse starting that 36K than I did after the marathon. <laughs> I did, like, wow. that's how crap I felt. Just no energy whatsoever. Um, so I was like, right, well, you don't deserve to, you don't deserve to wear headphones. You don't get headphones today. You don't get headphones today. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the mindset of it. And so I was like, right, I just need to go and get it done and then, you know, yeah, it sucks. And every time I wanted to stop, I was like, right, I just got to keep going, just got to keep going, just got to keep going. And so, like, doing that, because it was so, like, uncomfortable, I was like, right, well, the ultra can't be this bad because I can run a half marathon and not feel that bad. So I'll probably feel better than I did running that 36. You tape, I imagine you're tapering at the moment. You've been through that process. Did you know, because I remember not really realising what that was and why it was important, but... How has that been? Yeah, it's been good. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been fine. This is because the ultra's on Saturday, so you know we're five days out, which means that this week is very calm. Um, I'm going to go to the gym this afternoon, do upper weights, and then I've got a five six k gentle run on Wednesday, and then that's it this week. Yeah, I mean, that's for anyone listening, to taper, tapering is that doesn't know what it is. Tapering's when that, that time period before the race where you're not actually going to get better or what you might do is actually just accidentally injure yourself and it just lets your body recover a little bit before yeah essentially essentially like when we train our body goes through a period of of stress and so you are essentially breaking down your body when you train like training is a stress to the body it's a positive stress because your body adapts to it in a positive way but when you do that and you build up the distance of your running or your weightlifting or whatever then your body becomes more and more fatigued so then you need to allow the time for that stimulus to decrease and the body to rest and recover, and then you get super compensation, which is essentially where your body's like, ah, I need to be better at the thing I've just been doing. I've now got all the energy to be better at it, so I'm gonna, I'm just going to recover and get better. So essentially now I've been kind of deloading the past two weeks sort of, uh, but now 
my body should be super fresh, right? So come Saturday, I should feel amazing. <laughs> I should feel like I'm just bouncing off the walls. I've got all this energy. My legs feel great. And like mentally, I've just been a really great place to, to get started. So yeah, that's, that's basically that's, what we're doing. That's moment. definitely better than coming back from a three-day stag do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, do you have a game plan for the 50K? Um, I need to not run too fast. That is, that is absolutely the biggest, the biggest thing for me because I know, and anyone else that's done a race or any sort of competition, you're like hyped and excited and the adrenaline's going and you're like, oh, a 4.30 split feels fantastic. Yeah. I could definitely do this. <laughs> and then you get a half marathon in and you go, nope, that was the wrong strategy. So I would like to be able to do 50K in five hours, which is an average split of six minutes a kilometer. It, there is ups and downs. So I don't know if that's really feasible. Three and a half thousand feet of elevation. It's quite a decent amount of elevation, there, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't know if this is going to be feasible. I've not. I've never done a distance with that much elevation over that period of time. That's so a good point. So you, training's been like. I live in road, Clapham, road, road. so it's uh, it's not Flat. that hilly. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually, that's a really good point because the elevation will be a different element that you'll be learning there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I did do a twenty-five k trail run with ultra x and that was really good fun there was there was a bit of elevation in that which was quite cool so yeah it's just going to be really interesting so the game plan is don't run too fast on the flats try and like get a comfortable pace it's more like i just don't want my heart rate to be too high yeah i'm going to try and keep the heart rate at, at you know 140 150 at the top end and then the other strategy is eat a lot that's the thing I need to remember. Yeah, so nutrition, that was my next question. Nutrition, gels, certain foods that you've been using in training, what what you've been doing? Yeah, gels, I've been fine with gels, science and sport. Um, They're great. Gels, They're I've great. been using a lot of those. Those guys sent me a whole box of them, which is amazing, but really pissed Hazel off because I just put them on top of the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, David, I need to film content in here. Um, <laughs> so Can't like, have that in the background. It's just a hundred gels on top of the fridge. <laughs> So yeah, no, I've been using those and they, they taste great and I can digest them really well. So that's not an issue at all. So I've been, I mean, ideally I'd have just three of those every hour for five hours, but then, you know, that's 15 gels. It's quite a lot. Is there something at the aid station that you'd look at and go, I apps, I mean, you won't know until you see it, but mm. like, oh, that, that is just what I need right now, whether it be sweet or savory or something. So flapjacks is my strategy. Um, I have done on the 36K, I did, Sorine malt loaf, um, which is yeah, it, it's an old school favourite of mine. My mum used to give it me my lunchbox. Same, delicious stuff. So good, but it's not quite as delicious when you don't eat it with butter and you're super tired and it's really chewy. And it's thick, isn't it's it? It's thick, dense. So I kind of got put off <laughs> from that. So I'm going to go with the flapjacks, the little uh, like Sainsbury's do, like a tub with the little bites. So I'm yeah, going to yeah, oh yes, map that out. That's good. Because I need to try and get 60 to 90 grams of carbs an hour. So I need to figure out how many of those bites I need to eat an hour. So that's going to be my combination of, of gels and flapjacks. Salt tablets? Yes, loads. I'm a heavy salt sweater, which is really annoying. If it honest. is annoying. I'm a bit like that as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't realise it was such an issue until last, recently. Last thing, you don't, last thing you want is cramping up. Yeah. So that was the thing. Like when I did that 25K... Um, Ultra X trail run I was thinking it's only 25k but I can run a half marathon in like an hour and 40 so this should be fine and we got to like 
22k and all of a sudden I was like oh no my muscles are not working properly Mm. they started like all my adductors started to cramp and I was like I've absolutely bottled this so luckily I was running with Johnny and he had like a pack of salt chews I was like mate I can barely walk can you just give me these sweets and I literally ate all of them and had like uh, something from an A station drank some water and then within about 20 minutes muscles started working again so that's something I have to be really aware of um, what is it awesome awesome sups Ben Coomer's company yep. I've been using their hydrate electrolyte powder yeah Ben's been on the podcast he was really not really really good yeah really yeah, good guy he's a great guy he's actually um, I did the Coomer uh, the Academy BTN uh, nutrition courses so the, the foundation one and the, and the practical nutrition course and that, they were excellent actually so um, I mean, if anyone's listening that's interested in doing a nutrition qualification like drop me a DM and I'll put you in touch with with them um, he actually emailed me today saying that they've got a 200 pound discount <clears throat> so if you guys are interested drop me a DM and I'll give you get you 200 pound off <laughs> um, but yeah the uh, those salts the electrolytes have really been helping so I'm thinking though I don't know if other people that have been in this situation have a preference, but I don't really like drinking sugary stuff when I'm running because I get sticky on my mouth and you like end up just phlegming up. Orange juice is the worst of that. Yeah, so I'm going to do like a a pint of the electrolytes before the race and then I'll have a couple of litres of water in my camelback. Um, And then I need to get the salt chews to get the, the that stuff in so I can kind of balance it. What are you, twofold question, what are you most looking forward to about it, if anything, I imagine mm-hmm. you are, and what are you most nervous about? Um, the, it's the answer's the same, actually. I'm, I, I'm most looking forward to and I'm most nervous about doing it by myself. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of this Jekyll and Hyde situation, like, you know, Hazel's not going to be there. She's in Monaco. Johnny's not going to be there. He's doing turf games. Like, I'm not running it with anyone. You know, there'll be people there that I might bump into that I might know. But, like, running that distance by myself, unsupported, essentially, let's not actually, technically not unsupported because there are <laughs> aid stations and stuff. I get what I you mean, mean though. Like, I get what you mean. I'm not doing it with other people. No. So, like, I'm excited about the challenge of doing that myself but I'm also not really that excited about doing it by myself because when I finish, I'm just going to be stood there like sick and look around like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to my Airbnb now. So it's kind of an interesting, I've got this like thing in my head. You almost just want it to start now. You just want to, like you want it, because you can overthink it forever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess sleep the night before might be quite tough as well. Yeah, 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 well, I, I've got a um, an Airbnb in the area, so I'm going to go down there on Friday and then hopefully get a good night's sleep and then just be there early. start, early. isn't it? I would imagine, so I need to look into logistics. <laughs> I think it's like six. I think is it? Like six. Oh, no. I'll be fine. <laughs> hopefully the weather's all right as well. Not too it's, hot. Too it's cold. looking like it's going to be late 20s, like 28, 29. It's going to be warm. Mm. That will, no, you definitely sold tablets then. Um I've written down a quote which I think you'll recognise and I wanted to elaborate why it's on your website. If you never try, you'll never know. If you never fail, you'll never grow. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember when I first said it, but years ago, uh, I, I think I was saying to a client maybe, but it was just a case like so many people don't do stuff because they're they're scared of potentially failing, and so they just don't even do it in the first place. I'm like, if you don't, if you never try, you'll never know. Like you, ju- you don't know. You literally don't know. Oh, I won't be able to. I'm like, well, you don't actually know that, mm. right? That is that is not actually true right now. So the idea was like, if you don't try something, you won't actually know the outcome of it. So you might as well just give it a go. And then um, if you never fail, you never grow. It's just like as simple as most of our growth has come from pain and failure and, and you know, not actually being successful at something. Um, and so it's like actually the idea of embracing failure as the path to success is what I think is a much better approach than just trying to be consistently successful. Yeah, it's a good idea to try and be successful. But what I mean is that if you don't do stuff because you're worried about failing, then you're never going to put yourself close enough to the edge to actually achieve much. I'd rather consistently push myself as close to the edge as possible so I know literally where my limits are. And then I can be like, right, well, I can board it based on that. And you can you can make it, it's like quite simple... Um, you can bring it into running quite easily because you're like, right, you know, run as fast as you can for as long as possible, right? Like really send it. Some people will run and their heart rate will be like 150. And then some people will run and their heart rate will be 200, right? And you're like, okay, you have actually run to your limit there. Like you're, you can't go any yeah. faster. You're, it's physically impossible for you to move quicker. The person that's running, they've got 150 beats a minute heart rate. You're like you're probably about 75% there. They don't know where their limit is. Once you know where the limits are, you can like much easier, much more easily gauge the um, the difficulty of other stuff. Just like with weightlifting, it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a load of people with running, even people that are on the podcast that have said the same thing and I felt the same thing. Like I was at peace with the fact that I was like, I'll never run a marathon. Like, that is just not something that's ever in my thoughts or capabilities or anything until you finish that first half marathon and say, oh, I'll never do that again. But then a week later you think, well, well, maybe what else can I do? And then you finish a marathon and think, I'll never do that again. And what else can I do? I imagine it'll probably be the same thing for you, you know, touch wood, get get through that finish line. But you're you're so right in saying you're actually capable mentally and physically of so much more than you probably self-perceive. Yeah, most people limit themselves. They're not actually limited, they limit themselves through lack of self-belief. And most people just need someone to tell them they can do it, that you can do this. Self-belief is like an insanely powerful thing. Like, I've seen it with clients, I see it with friends, I see it with Hazel, myself. And the difference is that some people get to a point physically where they'll be tired and two people will be at the exact same point and one person will be like, oh, I just can't. And they'll stop. And then the other person will be like, I can do this. And then they'll push on and they'll get a second wind and then they'll do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And it's like both people, exactly the same situation. One person says no, the other person says yes. And that's, I think, the biggest change. That happens in running so much. <laughs> both ways that you can feel really good and then five minutes later you feel like you just never want to run again. And then the <laughs> other way around, exactly what you just said, you feel a bit rubbish. And then... 
I just push, push through that next couple of K and then you feel like brand new again. It's yeah, really it's strange. Really strange how that works. Yeah. Yeah, weird, weird, weird thing. Um, from talking to you, clearly such a passion for um, for getting active, being active, putting yourself through difficult situations. But you, it's a passion, but it's also something that you've done, you do professionally and you support people and you coach people. Yeah. And it was what you were educated in as well. What made you want to make that, you know, a passion for, you know, being sporty younger, but then actually turn that into uh, a living and a way of supporting people? Yeah, I mean, it's... So I've been working as um, an online health coach six, seven years. Um, Been working as a PT since I was 21, so I'm 33, so what's that, 12 years. Um, the, The thing is just, I've seen, even when I was younger, what the benefits are of being healthy. And... I've seen what can happen when you're not very healthy, you know. And I'm, as I get older, I'm much more aware of the longer term because I see my parents <clears throat> and, you know, the quality of their life or not so much the quality of their life. And, um, you know, I, I was just always been interested in health and fitness because I was active as a kid. It was just like a thing that I just did. And then when I see people that have that have issues, be it relationship with food, be it weight issues, be it, you know, insecurity about going into the gym, self-confidence issues, all of this stuff. And I'm like, I've got the answers to your problem. I know how to help you. When they trust in me and trust in the process, it is so rewarding. It's incredible. It's also incredibly infuriating when they don't. And I completely understand it. I completely understand it because, like, if you were to write down the process on paper, it's quite shit. (laughs) The actual process of, like, what people go through from being, say, really unfit and quite overweight to being just moderately fit and healthy, right? Like, it's quite, it's, it's painful, and it's uncomfortable and it's challenging and not just physically, emotionally and psychologically it's challenging. Your lifestyle has to change the way you set things up, the way you eat, all of this stuff. And as we just discussed, the, one of the biggest things is going to be your self-belief. And if you've always been in a position of unhealthy or overweight, then your self-belief is very, very low in your ability to be healthy. Cause you're like, well, I've always been like this. Mm. I just, I'm just one of the people that can't lose weight. I'm just one of the people that can't, I'm addicted to food, da, 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 like the belief system. So that's when we're going, that's what I mean by it's hard because you're like psychologically unable to change your perspective and you need someone external to shift that for you. And that's why having a coach is so valuable because that coach will be able to help you make that mental transition. You have to be internally the person you're going to become before you physically become that person. (laughs) And that's the hard thing. That's the hardest thing. And that is the thing that can be really challenging because like as a coach, I do all of the calls, all the consultations with our new clients. Even if I don't work with them, if my team work with them, I'll still speak to that client. And so 
they tell me their story, they tell me their history, they tell me what they want to achieve, they tell me all of their problems, and I'm, I feel for these people, and I'm like, this is great, like, we can help you, I can help you get from where you are right now, and we can achieve all of the goals, everything you want, I know exactly how to help you do it. If that person doesn't believe they can actually do it... You're already at a loss. It, it doesn't move forwards. Yeah. And then I'm just like, it, like, saddens me. And I have challenging conversations with Hazel where I'm like, how can I convince these people that this is a possible thing? If they just believe in this, if they just committed to this process, then all of the things they don't want, we can stop them from happening. And all the things they do want, we can make happen. But I fully appreciate having taken multiple people through that process that it is hard. And as easy as we try to make it like the journey of personal development and internal growth and physical development is, um, it is a journey. And, um, it, it's interesting how you say it's right. like, it's a journey. It's a big psychological thing. Cause you're not trying to, you know, give a quick fix to these people for six weeks. You're trying to set them up so that they're in a yeah. better position for the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my whole approach is, is um, education, understanding, empowerment. That's not sexy to sell. <laughs> I remember I was working with a business coach and he was like, right, you know, you should be doing 12-week programs. It's And they are easier to sell. I can tell you that from experience. They're so much easier to sell. 12 weeks. In 12 weeks, I can help you lose 12 kilos, right? That's just achievable. It's manageable. The truth is it doesn't actually help people in the long term. Most people are unsuccessful at losing weight over the long term because they don't learn how to do it. They don't know what the things are they need to do in order to sustain it. They don't make the changes to their lifestyle. They don't understand about food. They haven't shifted their attitude and mindset to the whole process to be a thing that they just do. They see it as a 12-week challenge. They see it as a diet. They see it as a thing that I need to do, not a thing I want to do. Weight loss is a really easy thing to sell. In the fitness industry, it is. I would I would argue that it's probably the reason why most things are centered around weight because when you're trying to sell something, you are selling a result. You're selling a a. a, a I've lost this much. I've exactly. Yeah, it's really tangible, right? You can be like, they were this size and now they're this size. They've lost ten kilos. They've lost ten centimeters off their waist, and then that's a super tangible thing to talk about, and it's visual very hard to like sell visually someone's mental shift with their relationship to food or the way that they feel now versus six months ago. A lot of these things are subjective and non-visual. They are much harder to make someone believe that they can do it as well. So I do understand why the fitness industry does have this kind of focus on weight because it's much simpler um, but the truth is that for people, the, the real growth and the real benefit comes from having a guide to take you along a journey, right? Having that's basically what we try and do is like, you know, my coaches are essentially guides that go along a journey with someone to get them from where they are to where they want to be, tackling their psychological issues, t- tackling any relationship with food, obviously their training, obviously their nutrition all that stuff, but then like what they need to have changed in their lifestyle to make this easier. 
and kind of guiding them along that journey over time. That is harder to sell. It's definitely not, um, you know, from a business approach, like you the said, smart the se- thing. The sexy, the sexy approach, but because yeah. you have to, someone might come to you and say, I want to lose weight. And you have to say, what, what's the reason? What's the, like, you have to almost be that psychological side as well. What's the actual reason behind I want to lose weight? Is it because you want yeah. to be able to achieve something or look a certain way or someone said, like, there's, there's a lot more confidence, to it than just... usually. Yeah. It's usually confidence. I always ask people why. So people have a goal, I'm like, oh, why is this important to you? And if it's weight loss, it's usually confidence. People mm-hmm. want to feel better about themselves. That's literally, I would say, like 95% the reason. Um, and so that's fine. I, I completely understand that. Like, we've all been in a position where we want to feel better about ourselves. I completely resonate with it. So yeah, I mean, for me, that's a completely valid reason. Um, I guess the, the thing is that like along the journey of losing the weight, you do start to make the changes. And if you commit to the process for long enough, those changes compound and then you can really make big, big changes. It's almost like the thing we want to do is get people to, just take the first step. Just take the first step in the process. Make that step as manageable as possible. Make it non-intimidating. Make it um, achievable. And then once we've done that, let's just take the next step. And let's just just keep adding, adding, and adding onto these steps. And like slowly, 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 we build and we build and we build. And then it's by doing that kind of step-by-step process that we actually make the big achievements. It's probably why I'm doing a 50K and not a 100 or a 250. Because right now, the step from marathon to 50 is manageable and it's not intimidating. It's a little bit intimidating, but it's not too intimidating, right? <laughs> Whereas if I'd done like a marathon and then go, I'm going to do a 250K race, <laughs> then I, I'm just going like, that is completely unachievable. Yeah. It's the same with weight loss. And, and so like that's kind of what we're trying to do and then along that journey of like oh you wanted to lose weight but like how good does it feel the fact you can now move better how good does it feel your back doesn't hurt as much how good does it feel that you went out and ate at a restaurant last night didn't feel guilty about it like how good does it feel that you have this energy now how good does it feel that you're sleeping better like all of these things like oh yeah no that does feel good this does feel nice i like this this is good and we're like cool so let's move on to the next thing of like let's focus on this and then you can just add on to it. Um, so that's why I mean it's a journey. It's not like the destination is the journey. It's like such a cliche, but now more than ever, I'm like super aware of this. Like life it is, we're, we're all going from birth to death, from A to B. And the destination is not death. It's not the end of the thing. The destination is every single day that we're doing something. And so like weight loss or running a race or training for anything or your job or your relationships, like all of these things are essentially the destination every single day. I find it really, I've pressed on that conversation because I find it really interesting. And I know obviously it's it's your life and I know that people will take a lot from even just anecdotes from what you've just said there. And obviously there's more on your website and how you can support people. Um, I find, find it really, really interesting, fitness, fitness and nutrition. Um, just before we wrap things up, just talking about, you know, the, I was looking at your social media and follow you on social media and it's a lot of effort to the, the production and quality that you put into your videos and your social media 
to the outside to people that might not know too much about that world think oh it's just posting on instagram it's posting whatever but actually having that platform's a responsibility but also the effort that you put into it is seems to be extremely high as well i mean how much how big a part is that role you know that social media platform for you uh it's an essential component of everything i do um i have a love-hate relationship with social media i'm not gonna lie i can imagine um the interesting thing is that like if we look back to about even just three years ago like instagram was primarily a photos app it was like people post their photos and to create content around that was not too time consuming like it was quite manageable yeah and i could post like a photo every single day about a thing that i'm doing and then have a caption and then i'd give information in the caption whereas now everything is video based video content is it's so much more time consuming it's actually incredible like it's not like twice as time consuming it's like creating a video could be like an entire like half a day or even longer to create it depending on what it is and the other thing is that the apps are even more competitive so like getting the right hook getting the right audio getting the right algorithms and standing out from the crowd all of that type of thing and it is you know essential to to what you're doing as well yeah no it is essential which is why i have to do it um, and that's where that love hate comes in even you just saying yeah. i have to do it yeah shows that obviously you're you put out so much positive information but also there's the drawbacks that it might not necessarily be the thing that you have to do and obviously you get i imagine there's critique on social media and all of these things that come with it but you have to do it yeah it like, I, I I don't know, I struggle a lot with it, to be honest, with social media. Because I have to put, like I said, lot, there's lots of effort that goes into it and people don't appreciate that, firstly. Um, most people don't because they, do, they, don't, they don't do it. They just see a video and it's like a 30-second video or a minute video and they're like, oh, cool. But then the thing is that, like, I just don't know if it's a good thing or not social media interesting like for the world in general I, I misinformation over uh, uh, over oh, top, yeah, over top content especially yeah. in this in, in, in your industry the the yeah the the lack of well sometimes the mis, misinformation that's out there must it's be terrible. so infuriating it is terrible like it obviously like if you get the right sources of information then the information is going to be game changing the problem is that a lot of people don't know who to trust because the people and most often the people that are the most trustworthy are not the people that get the most attention because what causes attention on social media is controversy and is polarizing opinions. And most people who are very well educated are well aware that there's always two sides to an argument. And so what's most likely is that that person would give probably both sides of the argument in their post and be like, this is one idea, this is another idea, this is what we can do, these are the pros and cons, da-da-da. That's just not as controversial as someone being like, this is the only way that you could ever get abs by doing this one exercise. You know what I mean? It's just... Target belly fat. Oh, it's dumb. (laughs) It's so dumb. Sometimes I see posts on social media and I'm like, this is so dumb. It's not smart. And it's so harmful and it hurts people because it misinforms them. 
Um, it's like there's this um, 36, 38 hour fasting thing at the moment, which right, I yeah, think I saw people that have seen. Recently, yeah. And like, okay, well, obviously you're not going to be eating calories for a day, so obviously you're going, you know, that's going to have an effect. But actually, that's not a sustainable way of living, is it? No, not for most people. It's not. It'd have too much effect on their ability to work, their ability to communicate with their partner, sleep, all this. That's stuff. an example of of thing. You know what you can see on that. Yeah, it's it's. I think there's like within the health and fitness industry, there's who do you trust for your information, and that's. I mean, we should think. We should always challenge who we're listening to for our information anyway, uh, be it on social media or not. The other thing is is um, is is social media as a whole entire concept good for us or not? <laughs> Sometimes I just don't know. I, I was interested. I had uh, Ray Mears was on uh, was a guest uh, a couple of months ago, and I I wasn't planning on talking to him about it, but talking about social media, and he said it's just like people come to uh, his bushcraft wilderness classes that he's been doing for years and years and now they just want to take a selfie with him and post it on social media and prove that they've been there he's like no like yeah. that's I'd rather have a conversation with you about you know rather than coming up and asking for a selfie and, and then leaving I'd rather have a like, say hello and learn your name and have a conversation and social media just it's just become this whole thing I mean that's yeah. that's one extreme of feeling about it but yeah no but I mean he's right it's, it, it infects the way in which we communicate with people it um, mm. really affects the way in which we show up in social environments, the behaviours that we, we we have, and then why we do things. And that's one of the things that, for me, when I create social media content, I will very rarely have an idea about something and then deliberately go and make that thing, right? Most of my content is, like, documented stuff that I'm doing, rather than being like, oh, it'd be such a good idea and it would get so many views if I went and did this thing and then videoed it. I find that approach to it, it just Pulse. disingenuous, inauthentic, and like attention-seeking. Mm. You know, like I'll go for a run or I'll do my training, that's my training, and then I'll document what I'm training. Or, you know, I'll have a client that talks to me about a problem then I'll be like, oh, I can create a video about this problem this client's just told, told me about and I can give the same advice to the, to, the, to the audience that are listening. And so that's my approach to it. But when I see people like doing stuff and it's just for likes and it's just for clicks and they're just doing it for attention, I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like a bit sorry for them. Yeah. Because like, is your validation from that? Like people would be surprised how little time I spend on Instagram. <laughs> like, I go on, I'll post something, and then often we'll just we'll just leave it. Well, as yeah. someone who's my degrees in film and television and that type of production, I can completely appreciate the effort that goes into creating <laughs> some of the stuff that you post. So, but I can imagine it's frustrating when it's uh, it's not just a it's not just a phone pointed at you for thirty seconds uh, and you post it. It's yeah, yeah. Well, also because the the whole process changes all the time. Like what works, what's working, what's not working. Like all these things are constantly evolving. So it's like you're trying to hit a moving target and you're trying to be authentic in the process. And then you've got however many hundreds of thousands of people looking at something and they're going through life with their perspective. And you might say something that, that doesn't agree with that person at that moment. And then you've, you've you know, been 
giving, 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 and then someone's like, I really don't like what you're doing right now. Have you not thought about X, Y, and Z? And you're like, nah, to be honest, I haven't thought about that because that's not my life and that's not my experience. Sometimes it happens and sometimes people give me shit. And I'm just like, yeah, no, like I can see what you're saying, but it's just not how I think. So like, we just got to appreciate we're different people sometimes. David, I really appreciate Every, this whole conversation for you for coming down it, like really I find it really really interesting and I know that there, there is so much that people listening to this will be able to take from it as well and I'm really looking forward to seeing how you get on <laughs> in your ultra <laughs> that face has come <laughs> back again um, I'm sure you'll absolutely smash it I'm excited um, the only thing that's left for you I mean you've given lots of pearls of wisdom in this but uh, a piece of advice that I can pass along to someone who'll be coming onto the podcast as a guest in the near future um, just take everything one step at a time focus on one thing and do it properly I look forward to passing that along David thank you thank you very much man thank you for listening to this week's episode with David we're really looking forward to seeing how he gets on in that race to the Stones Ultra thank you David for coming down to the studio and recording and we're looking forward to following along your journey If you enjoyed listening to this episode, then please do share it with someone who you think would enjoy it just as much as you. We're really trying to grow this outside and active community. You can also listen to the entire back catalogue of our episodes with some incredible guests over on outsideandactive.com or by just searching on the podcasting platform that you use. We'll be back next week with another episode and another fantastic guest. But until that time, enjoy the outdoors. (laughs) 